The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about all aspects of privacy and how to protect yourself, and we have a wonderful privacy and identity management consultant who is coming to us from beautiful uh, Virginia, and um, her name is Debbie Diener, and she is a JD and a CIPPG, which is the Certified Information Privacy Professional for Government, and I want to tell you, she has a fabulous background, and I'm so excited to talk to her. Debbie Diener's career has spanned over 30 years, including senior managerial, including senior executive service, legal, policy, and legislative positions in all three branches of the federal government. And her last federal position was as a senior advisor and director of privacy policy for the Department of Homeland Security, a very important area. Debbie is proud to have been selected to serve as one of the first co-chairs of the Identity Management Subcommittee of the Federal CIO Consul's Privacy, privacy Committee. In that role, she helped to spearhead collaborations with the private sector groups and individuals on several of the federal government's identity management priority initiatives. She's now an independent consultant providing strategic guidance to corporate and nonprofit organizations, and she helps them craft and implement privacy enhancing business solutions. Her current clients include the American Psychological Association and the Resilient Network Systems. And prior to uh, prior clients included Booz Allen Hamilton and Criterion Systems Inc. and many more. Among her career highlights are that she served as the Deputy Director for Privacy Policy for the IRS Department of the Treasury. And also as the Deputy Assistant General Counsel for Enforcement for the Maine Treasury and Chief Counsel for the Financial Management Service in the Treasury Department as an Assistant United States Tur- Attorney for the District of Columbia and as Counsel to the Crime and Criminal Justice Subcommittee and the ju- of the Judiciary Committee and the U.S. House of Representatives and a Judicial Law Clerk to the now-retired Honorable Stanley S. Harris from the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia. So she's been all around D.C. She knows what it's like out there, and she's just been doing a lot of great policy work and knows 
the ropes, and we are just thrilled to have her on as our expert today. So thank you so much. What a what a great bio and a diverse background. It's incredible, Debbie. Well, thank you, Mari. Um, I'm very happy to have had the opportunities that I have. I've loved being a federal civil servant, and I'm really enjoying being an independent consultant now as well. So tell me, how is it that you got into privacy from all those different things that you have uh, evolved from? One of the interesting things when I look at my prior career is that privacy or protecting people and information was a constant theme. Even if I wasn't in uh, an office that was specifically designated as a privacy office or that I wasn't a privacy official, when I was an assistant U.S. attorney, for example, and I'm sure your listeners and you can appreciate this, we dealt with a lot of sensitive information. I was always aware of maintaining the privacy of witnesses' information until it was appropriate to give it to defense counsel, protecting defendants. Uh, very, very critical not to divulge information ahead of time. Then when I went to the Treasury Department and I served in two of their financial bureaus, I mean, I was immersed both as an attorney as a supervisor and then in policy positions with some of the most sensitive information that people can share with the government, whether it's tax information or payments information that are going to people for benefits. What I realized is how much I loved working on those issues. I loved working on issues where there was the convergence of law and policy and legislation in concrete everyday terms. And so when I was at the financial management service, I was lucky enough be promoted to be the director of the Bank Policy and Oversight Division, and FMS is one of the two main financial bureaus of the Treasury Department. It's now called the Bureau of Fiscal Services. And my staff and I, in that role, we developed and implemented the first data breach policy for the commercial banks that the federal government uses as its financial agents. So I was dealing with banks and saying, if there's a breach, and this was a number of years ago, we hope there isn't, but if there is, here's what we need to do. Here's who has to be called. Here are the people who need to be informed and in what order. Here's the information, because the worst thing would have been to have no system in place. So working on those issues throughout my career made me want to focus even more uh, succinctly on privacy. And so then I was able to go and work at IRS and the role you, you described, and then at Homeland Security and the roles that you described. So privacy has been, without my even recognizing it, a core theme throughout my career. And, and you know, Debbie, when we think about privacy, we don't have liberty at all. I mean, without privacy, we don't have our democracy without privacy. So it's such an important area of our life. And, and for you to have really kind of incorporated it all through your career, I think it's just marvelous. And, and I honor you for that. And, and especially with regard to the IRS and Homeland Security, like you said, sensitive, sensitive data out there. Now, I know you do a blog, and I think that's how I found you, is I think I was somehow led to your blog. So let's talk a little bit about the blog. And I know it takes a lot of time, but um, tell us about that blog and, and why you do it. Oh, thanks so much for asking, Mari. I'm, I'm delighted, and, and I blush when I talk about it because it gives me so much pleasure to do it, and I'm very gratified it actually resonates with, with people. One of the things I really wanted to do when I started writing a blog was to write a blog that didn't have any jargon. So when people tell me that they can actually read my blog and understand it, 
makes me feel terrific. And I also wanted to do a blog that really focuses on everyday issues and not just the things that people need to be worried about, but even if it's a scam or a data breach, I really strive to give them concrete information. I don't want people to feel hopeless or helpless. So, for instance, when I write about the Target breach, and I know that's something of great concern to, obviously, millions and millions of people, I immediately told people in my first article, get, get with your credit card company, get with your bank, change your credit card or debit card. And this was before we even knew the magnitude exactly. of, the, of, the, of the breach. And then I also said, because that can just scare people. Come on, we hear about our credit being stolen or our debit cards being stolen. We worry about what does that lead to. So I also wrote about uh, the limitations on liability that people have by law for credit cards and debit cards because I wanted people to understand, hey, not only should you get a new card, but you have the ability, because this is so fast moving, you have the ability to be proactive on your own behalf. And here's the timelines within which you've got to get to your bank or to your credit card company and tell them there's a possibility that your card's been breached. So I give them that information as well. And that's, that's my goal, to, to be as positive and be helping people be proactive. And I also do uh, seasonal-themed uh, blogs. So for instance, around tax time. There are so many scams. Oh, I mean, yeah. it's just uh, tragic. So I write about the scams that I know about. I give people the sites to, for instance, the IRS website, which has a lot of information about protecting identity and what to do if you think you've been a victim of identity theft or you could be a victim. And I'll give sites to other blogs, governmental as well as um, other private sector bloggers. Because what my goal is is to make people realize they can do something on their own behalf, that they don't have to wait until there's a problem, that they really should be able to take steps for themselves. And that's, and that's my goal. No jargon. Be proactive. Take care of yourself. Yes. And you know what? While we're talking about your blog and empowering consumers like that, would you please just give your blog address right now so people listening might be saying, oh, where is that blog? I want to go there right now. <laughs> I'd be delighted. Thank you for asking. It's www.privacymadesimple.net. And the key to what I try to achieve is my tagline, don't get lost in the privacy maze, because we're all being bombarded with so much information and so many events. Really do want people to understand what's going on in concrete terms and ways that they can help themselves. And I love the name Privacy Made Simple. That's so easy. It's easy and it helps people to get those those tips that are so important to help them. And I am 100% with you on being proactive. So what are some of the top tips that you want people to know about protecting their own information while we're talking about this? Well, here's, here's what I really like to tell people is be active, be proactive, and be pushy. And why do I say that? Let me give you a very quick example. It has to do with an, an issue that gets me angry all the time, and that's the use of Social Security numbers in every shape, form, on every aspect of our lives. And why do I say that? There are, by law, ways that the Social Security number has to be produced. We have to give it, frankly, when we file our taxes. And there are other times when we're getting benefits that we have to file it. But we assume when we walk into a doctor's office, for example, that if they ask us for a Social Security number, that they're legally entitled to it. Maris are not. The so, only problem with that is the Medicare number. People, I get people calling me all the time. The Medicare number 
is the social security number. I know. And they, you know, I've been asking them to change that forever. It's crazy. It is totally crazy. So, <laughs> so I, it gets me so angry. Um, and you're right. And Medicare, that, that's a different issue. But let's just say. And the military ID number. That's another one. And, I, and I that know. And that didn't used to be, you know, I mean, I've, I've done presentations for, for retired military people. And they go, I remember when my military number was not my social security number. And now I can't go to the commissary without showing my social security number. So, you know, I mean, this is our, you know, we, we talk about it. And I agree with you 100%, 100%. But it's crazy because we have all these military people and their families and their their kids social security number is on that card and and the uh, the and the medicare and medicaid it's it's I, insane it is insane so so you're right in all those situations people unfortunately don't have the control to say don't use my ssn but let's just say it's not that i went to a, a regular yearly routine doctor's appointment a couple of months ago and there it was on my form and i said why are you using this you exactly. don't need it and they i made them take it off Yes, and so there's a way to do that. If you if you're not in one of the groups that you've just discussed, people should push at, push back. They shouldn't be worried about being a little pushy. Which would you rather be? Be considered a little pushy or be a potential identity um, theft yeah. victim? Right. What else can people do? Well, you know, there's some really simple things that people probably don't realize they could do or should do. So let's say you're on a website, and there's that button that's already checked that says "Remember Me." Don't don't do it. Right. Check it off. Don't don't have them be remembering all of your information. Um, don't save credit cards and debit card numbers on websites. We do so much online because it's easy and right. efficient. But these are very simple ways that we can begin to protect our identity. If you think something doesn't look right on an email you get, or you you know the the address, don't open the links. I write a lot of blogs about don't open the the links to things. Yes. Because that's dangerous. And so I've got another one for that's just come on the horizon. We've been reading about scanners in department stores. You know, people think, how did I get this coupon? I, right. I wasn't in that department store or I wasn't in that department. People need to realize that our phones, God bless our smartphones, yes. they're Wi-Fi enabled. Guess what? When you're shopping, turn off the Wi-Fi. Yes, yes. That way you're not being followed. And this is for brick and mortar. It's not just online. You know, we worry about our internet yeah. footprints. In brick and mortar buildings, they are using sensors. And we know that more and more companies are building these sensors that can be used. Now, yes. what, it, if, if you're comfortable and you like the store and you trust them, fine. But if you don't want somebody to know your literal footprints in a store, yeah. it's a really simple thing to do. Just turn off the Wi-Fi and then in most stores that are using these sensors, you won't start getting the coupons or you won't start getting ads from their subsidiary companies. And you wonder, how did that happen? Yes. Why am I getting these ads? So those are some very simple tips. I know the SSN is harder, but if I had to give one tip, it's be proactive and be pushy. If something doesn't feel right when someone's asking you for information or you don't want information shared online, take the time don't to undo the follow me buttons look at the privacy settings that you've set in your browsers and for your social network systems and for companies online and make sure that they're still active the way you want them to be 
And be careful what you put up on the social networks, right? I mean, I know you say that all the time, and people don't even think about that. You know, they're even putting out like, oh, I'm on vacation now. Well, that's an invitation for somebody to go with. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the seasonal blogs that I always write about is what not to do if you're going on vacation, whether it's those types of postings or with your using Wi-Fi in airports. We all do it, but be careful. Yeah, exactly. One little thought that I that I've had people do that that do have the military card or the the social security number uh, on their Medicare card or Medicaid, at least for Medicare and Medicaid, I tell them to make a copy of the card and then blacken out all but the last four digits <clears throat> so that they at least don't have that in their wallet. And then they, they can give the number if they have to to the doctor. But they, you know, because that's what they, they're going to submit for Medicare reimbursement. But, um, yeah, but we should be changing that. You know, it's it just makes no sense when everybody at the Federal Trade Commission says, don't give out your Social Security number. <laughs> well, it's true. It was never intended for that purpose. And, and I live in a state that fortunately decided to take it off the driver's license. Now there's this wonderful garbled number that we all get. And yeah. it's, I feel a lot safer, to be honest. Well, you know, I live in a very privacy-conscious state, California. And so I remember when we passed the law that said that health insurance companies could no longer use the SSN for any California resident. Well, it helped everybody like you in your state, too, because, you know, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, all those big companies, were, they, they had to change the number. They might as well just change it for everybody. So, you know, if you have health insurance, which you're supposed to have right now, according to, you know, Obamacare, that um, your health insurance number is all you need to give to the do- to your doctor and to the hospital. And that's not going to be your Social Security number, except for people who are using Medicare. I couldn't agree more. And that's exactly what I said to my doctor. If you're concerned about whether I'm entitled to a certain service or whether my insurance is still good, use the, so- use the number that's on my insurance card. You don't need my social security number. Exactly, exactly. Then you know, we hear people all the time lately when everything, when you and I have been talking about smartphones and, you know, all these things like smart refrigerators and all these things happening in privacy. People are, are saying, well, privacy is dead, get over it. Now, what do you think about that? I hate those <laughs> arguments. I cannot begin to tell you. I don't care how many pundits or professors say it. What message are we sending to people when we say privacy is dead or people don't care about privacy. Now, granted, if I was asked, and I wasn't in the privacy field, do you care about privacy? It's such an amorphous question. I might say, yeah, maybe not me. But, Mari, we know. You start putting it in concrete terms. Do you care about your Social Security number? Yes. Are you worried about uh, identity theft? Yes. And polls support that. Uh, There was a recent poll by... Uh, the Computer and Communications Industry Association. They did a 1,000 respondents. Guess what was the top fear? 75% of the respondents said they were concerned about identity theft. 54% said they were worried about having their browsing history tracked for ads. Put it in concrete terms. So if I could take just a couple of seconds and tell you how I've reformulated it. Because when I've read these articles and heard these arguments and gotten into these discussions, I thought, you know what? I need to rethink this. Because what I want to do is make privacy real for people today. So I've come up with what I call five C's. Okay. Start with the complexity. Everything is more complex. We've just been talking about it. 
it's a digitization of everyday objects. Everything is more complex, so we can't say, and people shouldn't assume, that one privacy policy fits everything. Right. People will say people don't want control. Yes, people do want control. We want to, and we should be able to say when our information should be used, which information should be used, and by whom. And that takes me to my next C, which is context. We all have different comfort levels. Some of us are very comfortable shopping online. Some of us are really happy doing banking. Some people live their lives online. But it can be calibrated, another C, it can be calibrated by context because I might be very comfortable sharing a lot of information with some entity I trust, but another entity, I don't want them having all my information. And that brings me to choice. We should have the choice about when and how the information is used. There are companies that I feel very comfortable with online, and if they want to have my data so I can get more targeted information, more precise information, that's great, but that should be my choice. And that leads to my last C, which is confidence. This is a win-win. When people feel confident that their information is being used in the way they want it to be used, that it's not being sold without them knowing it, that it's being given in the situations and to the people and to the entities they want, that builds confidence. And what does that translate into? It translates into customer loyalty, which is a win for organizations. So I like to think about and talk about privacy using those five C's because I, I believe, again, another C, it really makes it concrete so that people are not thinking, oh, well, privacy, you just don't want anything done. No, here's the way to really think about it so that it's, it is a win-win for everybody. Exactly, and I know you, you see it, and I agree with you that privacy is really value-added, that if you deal with a company that values your privacy, that's an additional value to the service or the products that they're giving you. It's tremendous, and, and it's not a barrier. You know, and privacy isn't an and-or. Right. It's not an, it is a value-added, and that's why... Uh, Ann Kravorkian, who was a guest I know on uh, show. Oh, lots of times. We're good friends. Privacy by design. That's how I do it with my clients. Yes. It's not you've got to do privacy. It's like, hey, you've got a good product. You've got a good system. You're developing or you're modifying it. Let's talk about how we can enhance the value. And one of the ways we can do that is how are you using the data? How are you telling the people, your customers, your clients about the data? Be obvious, be clear, be transparent, and people will want to use that service. None of us wants a gotcha. No. I don't care who it is. Nobody wants to be, to be fooled into thinking that um, personal information is being used in one way when it's actually being used in a completely different way. You know, I even do that in my own practice. You know, I, I do mediation, and I do mediation of business disputes and divorce and all that. And I tell people, the value that the value added that I give you is everything that I send to you by email is encrypted. I teach you how to encrypt. Everything that I, I keep, everything that I possibly can out of the court. So if we have to have a public agreement, we also have a private agreement that's enforceable in the court. And I explain to them that that is protecting your privacy because you don't want your tax returns filed in your divorce packet, <laughs> you know, which some no. attorneys do that. I, I mean, it blows me away when you think that it's, it's in their divorce file, their, their tax returns are in there and, and, you know, documents about their finances. It just, it just drives me nuts. So that's one of the things that, that I use as well to say, this is a value added. This is what you get with me. You will learn encryption. You will learn what you could, what you should be protecting when you send me anything. 
you know, so, um, so I, I agree with you. I tell my clients that I tell them to do that in their own businesses and I try to walk my talk, and obviously you do too. So I do, and your encryption comment really is an important one. Everything you've been saying is important, but in terms of another thing we all can do, people can do, consumers can do, um, there are ways to do two-factor authentications to make your security safer online, to make your, your identity safer online. It, it sounds complicated, but, but when people look at blogs, and I write about it, and there are easy-to-do steps to be able to have just that extra bit of protection for your identity online. And it doesn't have to be as sophisticated as um, three-factor authentication or even encryption, which a lot of people can't do. But people should look to see, just as you do it with your clients, they should look and see the um, encryption levels, the security levels of the most sensitive information that they're sharing with a company or a doctor or any any organization, they can ask those questions. That's the other thing, Mari. We're, we we think of technology as being the solution, but you know what? Sometimes it's just ask the right questions. Yes. And don't be afraid to ask the right questions. Yes. And and the weakest link is always the 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 people link, right? The yes. humans. That's that's because we're human. We are. And one of the things that um, concerns me deeply, although I believe strongly in moving to electronic records and electronic health records, but you may know that the uh, Inspector General of the Department of Health and Human Resources recently issued a report and was very concerned about what's happening with the push for electronic health records. Yes. This is another reason why I ask people to really think about what when they go into a doctor's office my, you know my example about me with my social security number right the rush to get into electronic health records means that information that shouldn't be copied or is incorrect is being cut and pasted right into records after records so again then how do you clean it up right exactly so i think most of us are very uh, willing to think that when we go into a professional organization or look at a reputable organization online that they're doing everything correctly. And I'm not suggesting that they're not or that they're doing something intentionally wrong, but we actually have to be our own best advocates in, in a lot of situations and, and take the time to look at the records and make sure that if something's wrong, that it gets corrected right then, because especially with something like uh, paper records becoming electronic records, boy, then getting it undone is a Herculean task. It, it is, and it's it's almost impossible. I had a, a woman who was a victim of identity theft, and um, a, another woman stole her identity and got all sorts of me- uh, mental health stuff in Orange County. And I, I can't even tell you how it ruined her life. It is just so pathetic. It's horrible. So, you know, I, when I go to the doctor, I always ask right afterward, I said, can, can, you know, you wrote some things in there. Can I just get a copy of what you have in there? Because I, I, they use their iPads now. So I just say, can I get a copy? So you can even get a copy each time you go into the doctor, by the way. I know. And under the um, recent amendments to the uh, HIPAA and high tech law, you're you're supposed to buy right. You can get the copy in a format that you can use. So if you're not someone who's tech savvy the way you right. are, yeah. you can get a paper copy. Exactly. And it's important that people need to do that, especially as more and more electronic uh, records are created in the health area, or where people wearing fitness apps or fitness watches and needing to remember that data is going someplace, and they really need to ask who's got it, and is it staying on the device, or is it being put in the cloud, or is it being shared with 
some other organization. It's it's really pretty overwhelming. <laughs> it can be. It absolutely can be, which is why I try to blog, in, as I say, non-jargon. I know. And, and I actually do sometimes do one specifically for seniors or for parents so that they can know what's going on and you know that's that's why I go, that's why I have my first C being the complexity of what's happening in our world today to try and make it yeah they at least give some control I, I love I love your six C's they are just wonderful oh thank you so we are just about out of time I want to make sure that you give your blog again and uh, and your website and then it's time for us to go all right Mari first of all I want to thank you and your audience again it's just been a pleasure talking with you my blog site is www privacymadesimple.net. I don't have a website. I just blog, and I just want to thank you again. It's been a delight talking with you, and, and I just appreciate everything that you're doing. And we will meet in D.C. I will look forward to that. It'll be fun. Thanks it so much. Great. You're terrific. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks so much. You're just terrific and wonderful. And Deborah Diener, thank you again. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI, uh, KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. right here on KUCI and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.